0: you <laughs> So, exciting episode of First Strike. For such show out plug our sponsor FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your magic bag, la, la, la. the gathering singles. Too excited. Um this week's special on FaceFaceGames.com up to 50% off select commander singles. So if you've been waiting for some commander stables to be on special, definitely go to FaceFaceGames.com, click on the first banner and you'll see the list. And if you want to sponsor the show, go to patreoncom Strike. This week, awesome. Lots of modern topic, because we've been talking about lots of um, standard as well. And I'm getting distracted by Elliot trolling me. <laughs> so lots of modern, especially it's good to have Sean on, Detective Sean, who cracked another case. Uh, because the arena, the, the arena championship, you got your fix, your standard fix, uh, all that. And then we had Seattle, we had John fly to Seattle to try to battle it out in modern. So getting uh, to be able to experience both formats uh, during the weekend. Awesome, awesome time. So we're going to go straight to, to you, Sean, who took down the event, the deck that everyone thinks is, is the best deck in the format. Uh, I think even John thinks that, even though he's, he's, it's close to his heart, like Grishel Brad and everything's close to his heart. So he, he stuck with Neoform combo, uh, but everyone was, had their target on Hogak, but you still took it down. Um, Funny enough, though, this funny storyline, because we, we held two face to face games.com opens. We had the Hamilton one, and we also had one in Saskatoon. And we've made some social media posts about Jun winning the Saskatoon. But then I think if you ask the people who participated in the Saskatoon event, which is still, I think, at least 70 to 80 players, uh, Hogak was not uh, a factor. Like, no one was playing it. Apparently, only one person in the room was playing it. So, uh, can't, can't take. Jun, being a comeback deck, can't, can't really conclude that from that tournament. But your tournament, you took down, and you just took the, the best deck in the format. Uh, right, Sean? Yeah, uh,
1: I, think, I think Hogak's uh, definitely the, the best deck in the format. And um, I think people weren't even prepared for it at the Hamilton Open either. Um, there was less copies than I thought there would be. And people just weren't playing the right kind of hate. And as soon as like, you're not getting hated out, the deck is so powerful that you're just going to run over people.
0: Stop shuffling cards, Detective. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I completely forgot. i <laughs> okay. just out of uh, habit. So, you mentioned in our, our little private chat that Hogak is a Jun deck. So, <laughs> ma- I, I wonder if typical Jun, I, I don't know, I think classic Jun won the Saskatoon Open. I'm going to pull that deck list out. Uh, uh, John, you're not surprised, right? And I think Elliot posted in our Facebook chat like, how Hogak dominated some tournament.
2: Yeah, Hogak dominated the modern challenge on Magic Online on Saturday. Uh, it was like something like more, like fifty percent of the top sixteen or something like that. Like that was the cut that they they had showed or shown. I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, so of the yeah sixteen decks, fifty six percent were Faithless Looting decks. Fifty uh, percent were Hogak. Just so split down the middle, and the nine O list was Hogak. Um, so really dominating performance there. And then on top of that, there was the modern MCQ on the Sunday, which had two copies of Hogak in the top eight, but was actually taken down by traditional Jund, uh, sort of like the Saskatoon Open. So kind of interesting. Maybe Jund's like somehow lining up really well, although it looks like they're very short on graveyard hate, so I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it. Uh, yeah, this
3: makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, Jund got second at the Hamilton Open as well. So. Kind of interesting.
2: It, it looks like. I think this is the gen list that won. It has four Leyline of the Voids in the sideboard, but that's definitely, I think, an outlier compared to some of the other gen lists I've seen. Um, they're also playing with one Nile Spell Bomb in the main deck, which I guess helps a little bit, but I, I, the Hoagack deck, deck just seems like it can overpower that easily, and I, I don't think it can actually be a good matchup. <laughs>
3: So, Shaffer, for some or listeners who have no idea, who have, like,
0: maybe some players at the Hamilton Open who are not prepared, how, how does this deck work in a nutshell? Um, so the way it works is uh, there's, like, the,
1: the Bridgevine deck from a few months ago where uh, you have, like, Grave Venge Vines, Vengevines, Gas. Like, you still have that part of the deck, like Neonates and um, Faithless Looting. But uh, with the new cards from Modern Horizons, you get an extra angle of attack through... Um, Alter, Hogak, and Carrion Feeder, just upgrading some parts of the deck, and Hogak and Alter just like completely changing it, where now with Alter, you can start milling yourself by recurring Hogak constantly from your graveyard and uh, generating zombies with Bridge from Below. And as you mill your whole deck, you're going to hit all four bridges and then uh, amass a really large board of zombies, and then you can just sack your entire board to mill your opponent's deck. And as soon as you pass the turn, they're just going to die in their, their draw step.
3: In-
0: did you prep much for this event or did you just took what people thought was the most broken deck and you just brought it in and crushed people with it? Uh, my first match playing the deck was round one.
1: <laughs> but, uh,
0: <laughs> so
1: easy uh, to play. Did, do you have dredgevine experience? No. Uh, what I did is I, I watched Canister play for a couple hours. And uh, Isaac, one of my teammates on Team Harry T, was um, playing the deck on Moto. And we uh, we'd, like hangouts for... I think two sessions for about an hour and I learned the deck that way. I think like I definitely didn't sequence optimally, I think like for the first couple rounds, but I think once you get the sequencing down, the, the hard part about the deck is just learning how to play against the hate, like uh Ravnus trap and surgical, as long as you don't expose yourself in certain spots. Uh, the only hate that really hurts you uh, is like ley or rest in peace. If your opponent's on the play, um, and as long as you don't board too heavily, I think the the deck works like kind of straightforward once you get the sequencing down.
0: So you you're not familiar uh, with these new Jund lists that were popping out that that are just like doing well.
1: Uh no, I I thought like Jund was kind of unplayable because like I think you can never win game one against Hogak, like. Uh, in the finals, I like the, my opponent was one of my buddies, and uh, he was on Jun. And I was joking with him because I was like, "I think if I, unless I mull to like three cards, I don't think you can actually win." And He's like, "Yeah, I think so." And then <laughs> we just like joked around the entire game one because I'm like, we were both trying to figure out how he can win every turn," and he just I didn't draw like uh, Hogak and I didn't draw Alter Dementia. I just killed him with like Carrion Feeder, uh, Bridges in my graveyard and uh, Gravecrawler, and I just had way too many zombies for him to win. Um so I just don't think Jun can really do well with Hogek in the format because you lose game one like very high percentage of the time and then if your sideboard has hey, just four ley lines, like he played a ley line in game two uh on turn zero and then I just like nature's claimed it and then won. Like I think that's gonna happen a lot of the time in either game two or three. So I just don't really know how that Jun can thrive, even though it got some new tools.
0: Yeah, I guess like someone's popularizing it because I'm seeing some similarities from the Saskatoon Winterless and this list. I'm seeing that they both play two Ren and Six, Modern Horizons. They both have exactly one copy of Unearth. So the based some amount of seasoned power mancer, the base of the deck is is pretty similar and maybe like a few cards off from each other. So that's interesting. John, John, were you running into any Juns in your testing in your? Uh Match play?
4: Not, not before, but ever since the uh, Agenda won the MCQ, I've been going infinite playing against the like, green-black decks. Like, it's like all the fair decks got in, uh, felt invigorated and came out of the woodworks to try it out. Like, as Sean said, I, I don't see how this matchup can possibly be good here. Um, Bridgevine is very equipped to fight through like, like some piece of hate and yeah, it's, it's weird, but yeah, it's, certainly there's been um, new toys like Plague Engineer, Renom 6, which has already made an impacting legacy. And, you know, there's potentially Modern as well, I agree. Uh, Collect the Oof and all that. And people just like to play Card deck, I guess. Like, I have a hard time believing it's, like, even, oh, sorry, Unearthed and Seasoned Pyromancer. So I, I have a hard time believing this deck is good, but it won a very, like, tough magical online uh, pdq field so who knows i feel like uh we mentioned this on the show where, where
0: it's harder in real life for for people to switch decks due to it being expensive or, or people just uh investing in the archetype they've been playing for, for so long so i'm not surprised that when i read in the facebook groups for that's that only one person uh played hogak or, or any of these new decks um sean was the turn pretty smooth all the way through then were you like X-O in, in the Swiss? Uh, I went 6-1 in the Swiss. My one loss was to uh, Blue Red Paramancer where
1: <clears throat> game one, uh, there was a quick thing in the ice. And then game two, my opponent had uh, a couple pieces of hate. Uh, and game one, he also had double uh, extraction which hurt. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I didn't feel behind against anybody. Uh, I like had multiple like moles to five that won. Uh, I had like an insane game where, like, I, I guess I finally understood how good the deck was. Where <clears throat> all I had was like a fetch land, a blood gas, and an altar, and then my opponent was just dead. uh it Just went off from like a two-one that I brought back twice, and and then I realized like, yeah, this deck is like truly broken unless your opponent is excelling your graveyard.
3: Hmm. All right, John, you made uh,
0: uh, an awesome video series on uh, magic.facefacegames.com, the, the youtube channel uh, on neoform combo in depth at if people wanted to like just learn how to play it super in depth cuz uh, cuz you're not doing a gameplay a live uh, video you're doing you're reviewing every game uh, from your modern challenge and even explaining in the first introduction deck tech video about how the deck to play what's the fundamental turn to go off and It's gotten quite quite popular. I mean, I think um, posting on social media, it's all about posting deck lists that people find fun and it will generally generate a lot of views. But even that, I thought the quality of the content was
4: really good. I mean, I
0: learned a lot from it. And you decided to bring almost that deck list to Seattle, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, People know me as uh, the Grizzle Brand guy and all that. You know, and... I'm sorry to disappoint fans, but I think Grishowbran Brand's very unplayable. Um, we, are, we are innocent, but we are the unintended victims of Hogak taking over. Uh, but as long as that's still the case, we cannot play Brand. Um we, cannot play, like, we just can't play an inferior version of a deck like Hogak. Um, so I have been jamming. Uh, I started, I started um, playing Neoform as a meme, but really... The more, the, the more I thought about it, because Matsugan and some, someone else, like, they, they top aided back-to-back uh, Magical Online, uh, PTQs, which, which really like, intrigued me again, and the list was really tightened, so it kind of invigorated me to start testing, mostly to see how many turn ones I can get, and uh, yeah, I have like over 200 matches of data now, and I really think and believe that this is a very competitive deck in the right metagame. Um, if, the, if the field is full of Grits of Shadows and Jund and Blue-White, I wouldn't bring it, but I thought that the, um, the format was ripe in uh, Grand Prix Seattle. I, I thought that there was going to be a lot of Hogak decks and a lot of linear decks trying to out each other, like Storm and uh, Infect and all that. So, you know, what better way to go under people trying to go under than to slide under everything? You know, that was my thought. So I, uh, I played my uh, list that almost card for card in the video. Uh, I played that in Seattle. I went 5-1. I basically went X and uh, Dovin's Vito because that card is very hard to beat and uh, I missed top 8 uh, of the modern PTQ at Seattle by Tiebreaker, and uh, I turn 1 somewhat, I turn one killed like 5 times in 6 rounds, and let me tell you, the, um, your opponent's smiles really disappear, like, really fast once you start uh, comboing on turn 1, and those turn into frowns real fast and salt as well, so that's something I'm going to get used to, I guess, but yeah, I think the deck is very competitive, and you know, it's under the radar, uh, it's not going to get banned before Hogak, I think, and the uh uh, london Mogan's coming soon. uh if you want to like really learn about that and uh, watch me play through it i think now's the prime time
0: um john john i think you did you say that you were were having a nice conversation and then it was awkward because you just killed the guy on turn one
4: yeah it's like pre-game i try to be friendly with everyone because i'm known for playing like (laughs) degenerate combo that that can kill on turn one and turn two so you gotta be extra friendly before the game, and once you start like, putting Grizzlebrand like, on turn one, their smiles just disappear, and I'm not trying to be an <laughs> asshole, but I just get this like, icy stares, I'm bored, it looks a bit different, and so I, I sometimes I can't take it, so I gotta be like, extra friendly and build the goodwill before I burn all the goodwill away um, when I'm comboing off.
0: Uh, do, do you feel like an asshole when you played the original Grizzlebrand deck? Because I feel like when I've attended live events, that's one of the deck's that when my friends get beaten by it, they get pissed. They, some of them get really mad. They're like, I stupid Grissel Brad.
4: <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I know a lot of people come to, like, interact and play Interactive Magic, you know, to say, you know, <laughs> both teams tried hard and all that. Obviously, as you know, like, I'm interested in being very opposite of that. Like, that's why Magic is great, right? Like, there's something for everyone. So I would hope that people don't get uh, upset at me for playing this. Like, I don't get mad when humans or Grissel Shadows, like, uh, fun police me, but I don't complain, you know. So, I don't know perspectives, I guess. Um, Andy, you, you mentioned that you were you were starting to
0: dabble in modern on on moto, and then you got destroyed. Games games one and two, turn one.
5: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, play, I played against the neoform deck, and they just turn one killed me. Game one, turn one killed me. Game two, and I was, I closed moto. <laughs> And then uh, I signed back and I was like, listen, I'm strong. I can do this. And I played against Hogak when I was playing the Is It Phoenix Deck. And I exiled their graveyard twice and surgical them once in a game and just got absolutely smashed. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) O2 drop. (laughs) Promise to never play again. I actually played a few leagues with Hogak. (laughs) And there's so many games where I'm like, wow, I completely screwed this whole thing up. And then I was like, oh, wait, they're dead like oh are it's infinite, they're dead. it's just alter alter is unbelievable it's uh I don't know it's uh one probably the best deck in modern ever one of one of for sure it's in the top class like with uh like the old infect decks, the old storm decks and and all that it's just unbelievable how powerful <laughs> and resilient it is.
4: <laughs> yeah let me let me just interject here so because i'm in a i'm in a group of uh it's, i wouldn't say it's like uh but, it. but any, anyways there's like a bunch of devoted people trying to break hogak and there's so many people saying hey you know i have no idea what i'm doing i'm just like pressing random buttons in the first like uh 50 uh first like five leagues and i'm like winning 80 percent despite the fact i'm just pressing random buttons like the floor of this uh, deck, I think, is really high. and I think there's also percentage points to be gained by knowing the nuance, uh, nuances and sequencing as well. So that's why I think it appeals to like, all kinds of people. It has a high floor, it's very powerful, and, and you can, like, I think, uh, master it uh, a little bit.
2: If there's a Cabal dedicated to breaking Hogak, it might be the most successful Cabal of all time, because they did it. Whether it was them or not, but the job is being accomplished. It's broken.
4: Yeah, the results in the first three weeks have been like pretty unreal. It's like alarming. It's like it's like nearing like Isle of Oog and Eldrazi. I, I wouldn't say it's that far, but I, I see parallels.
0: John, John, what's the incentive of playing uh, Neoform against Hogak? Is it because you're faster than them some
4: percentage of the time? You're way faster than them on average. Their only hate piece, hate piece is like uh, like three thought seeds, maybe otherwise they just have to race you. Where are like, um, I'm in my video, but I turn one like 8% of the time so far with a decent sample size, and I, t- I turn two like additional 22% of the times. And like, n- like, Hogak's just not fast enough to do that, nor is it disruptive enough. It's only playing three discards p- post forward, and we bring Leyland Sanctity anyways to kind of block off their, uh, mill plan, um, or the, um, or the, uh, discard. So I think it's topsy it, it's turvy The games you win or lose looks, uh, feels uh, lopsided, but on average, I think we're, uh, we're a good favorite against Holgar. Whoa. Well, what would you set the percentage at? 70? 65? Well, like, like in modern, right? Because like, in modern, no matchup is like, that lopsided unless you're talking like Ad Nauseam, um, Infect, for example. So like, maybe like 60-65%, to 65%, I would say. You can still definitely lose. So the, you? Let me let me add one more thing here. The the reason why I stopped playing Griswold Brand is there's collateral damage, you know, between like all the force negations to stop like uh, the unfair stuff and the graveyard hate as well. Like or like Cheerios, for example, like Put- Budakoff, the noted uh, online grinder, wrote an article on Cheerios and how he played it at the mocks. But even a deck like that is weak to multiple forms of hate, with, whether it's uh, discard or uh, discard or removal. Um, Neoform is not susceptible to graveyard hate like Vistro was. Neoform is not susceptible to creature remo- removal like uh, Storm, Infect and uh, Cheerioses. So there's very limited uh, axes of interaction that's actually good. Like Digger's Cage is one of them. Like, even Chalice is like, only medium uh, good because of Summoner's pack. So that's why I like the deck. It's powerful, it's fast and it can, it can dodge a lot of the uh, typical um, axes of hate right, that's
3: going on right now. Hmm. So in a field with, with a lot of... Hope, it seems like one of the best choices you can make then, John. Right? Moving
4: forward? I mean, I, I personally believe so. If I didn't think that my deck can win, I wouldn't bring it to a PTQ, even though I am known to meme a lot. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's good. Um, you know what? Um, this Sunday at uh, the Magic Online PTQ, I'm probably going to play uh, Alistair's Rider again. So... I, I back it up when I uh, when when I when I speak well of someone. Okay. Somebody.
0: Well, I don't think I don't know if you listened to the last show, but uh, a- Andy Andy definitely fired some shots, and I was gonna I forgot to clip the shots that were fired, but I'll, I'll remember and do it this week. Andy, from your perspective, is you right? Do you think neoform is is definitely a, a one
3: of the strong choices if you don't want to play Hogak?
5: Um, I think. Uh... Let's see, what do you call it? I think John is sort of like the, the head of operations at the Luck Factory, and they're turning out full production. And I think, oh, by the way, I do think Neoform is totally fine. It's uh, certainly better than Grishol Brand, and he played that forever. So I think he's finally stepping in the right direction. He's just a couple decks off from playing the best deck. I think you're much better served to like, play the best deck than play the deck that beats the best deck almost every time, but it's just something that people do all the time, is they just won't play the best deck. I do uh, think that...
3: Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think you're right. I have this, uh,
4: not deficiency, but this bad habit of not playing the best deck. I, I will not refute that. I was going to play Hogak because it's a degenerate graveyard deck that can turn 3 kill and all that, and even turn 2 kill. It's totally on brand, but... Um, it's important to stay even more on brand, and uh, I have the Gristle brand reputation to protect. So I I will fully fully agree with your assessment, and I will still ignore it and play in your form, I guess.
5: Yeah, and that's uh, that's what you do when you're head of operations at the Luck Factory. <laughs> but um, anyways, what the one thing that makes that Alsource Rider deck very good is like it's actually really hard to hate out sometimes, like. It doesn't die to, like, the typical, like, hate bullets that seem to, like, hit all these unfair decks. And I think that's a huge plus for it. Like, when I was playing Is It Phoenix, uh, like, there was just a the the few counterspells, and uh, that was it, really. Didn't have much else to, to bring in against it. So I think that it has that going for it, which is a plus. I think the deck's a fine choice for this modern format that is going to cease to exist on July 8th or whatever, but...
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Sean, I was talking to uh, D. Rude. He thinks that he doesn't expect Watsi
0: to, to ban anything before the Pro Tour, but, I mean, they have to, right? They, they've got it. It's like everyone's playing this deck, and it's pretty much solved. Andy?
5: Uh, I would bet any amount they'd lit me that it gets banned by, by July 8th. They can't not ban it. And I think it's more likely it gets banned before July 8th than it does not get banned by July 8th.
1: Yeah, I have to agree that something has to be banned. I just don't think WotC ever likes banning cards that they just printed, so they might not ban like Alter or Ogak. And they've also shown that they're just like not banning Faithless Looting. So I think something that they might hit is like I don't know. I think John just mentioned Bridge. I think that's a good that's a good piece they could hit. Um, or like. I don't know what else can really hamstring it as much as not hitting any of those three cards. So it's probably just probably just Bridge is the most reasonable. I'd agree with that.
5: Yeah, I think Bridge is a good safe ban and stops the infinite combo it has.
2: As yeah, much as I I'd just... like to... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, Elliot, go ahead. I was going to say, as much as I'd like to agree with everyone, I think that both uh, Bridge from Below and perhaps Allosaurus Rider should be banned. We should just maybe reverse the clock back to... Uh, May, let's say, of 2017 when we were so sure that Sahili Rai or Dark or Garden would be banned in Standard because it, it's gotta go, it's the most busted thing ever. And then uh, WotC only folded after a huge uproar in the community after the ban list. So, uh, where they were not banned, rather. So, I don't know. I, I basically have oh, high hopes and little faith.
3: That's a really good way of putting it. The, the reason why I bought the Neoform deck is because,
4: um, although their, um, their uh, BNR explanations, have been more nuanced um, lately, I think that uh, Wizards has uh, shown a reluctance to take preemptive uh, actions. Like, as in, like, if there is no evidence of uh, a deck being oppressive, for example, they wouldn't do it. The only exception is uh, the banning of the Ferocedon and the Ruins, where they actually uh, did do a forward-looking uh, ban although there, there was already data that Mono Red was the best deck except for against Kimmer Energy in, in that ban cycle. Um, so I also saw Patrick Sullivan saying that the burning of proof for, um, for banning a card is very high, and he doesn't expect it. Um, so I think that I'm with you. I think I would like to see uh, uh, something from Hogak banned, and I, but I don't think it'll be banned in this uh, ban cycle. That's my personal opinion.
5: You genuinely don't think it'll get banned in this ban cycle? I hope it does, but I don't think Wizards
3: will. That's that's my position. Oh my god!
5: What is wrong with you guys? It was half of the top thirty-two. It's like, yeah, it's like the most dominant deck we have ever seen in Modern since the Eldrazi deck, and that deck would have got banned too if it was like a huge known quantity, like a month, two months before the Pro Tour. That's like. Yeah, that's ridiculous. If they if they don't ban it, I'm off the showcar.
2: <laughs> Clip that my other the other question I, I think about the Eldrazi deck is yes, it was super dominant, super good, and something like, I don't know, let's say fifty percent of the winner's meta between the various Eldrazi decks. I wonder how much of that is the fact that if you wanted to be playing a, a super mid rangey deck, you could play the blue white version. If you wanted to play like an more aggro version, there was the colorless version that still existed mostly for the format. And then there was also the red green ramp style deck. So I wonder if the fact that, you know, we're calling them just the Eldrazi decks now, but the fact that there was like the three different paths you could take for it helped in it becoming fifty percent of the meta, versus the Hogak deck just being, you know, this is what you get. You're playing pretty much these fifty eight cards, and then you have a couple choices for Dark Blast or Faith or um, Lightning Axe type cards. And I wonder if like on pure power level, Hogak is as good as the Eldrazi deck but just the more variety means that the stats don't line up because man the Hokak deck is really good
5: yeah I think I think one of the biggest things is that the Eldrazi deck was like there was crappy versions of it before the pro tour like on moto and stuff like that but it wasn't like a huge deck and then at the pro tour it absolutely blew up blew up so like Watsi didn't want to ban it immediately after the pro tour because they like, people haven't had time yet to, like, react. So they gave people the time to react. But, like, the time's up. Time's ticked. It You can't beat it.
3: So, I wasn't playing back then, so
4: what was the evolution or the develop- development of the Eldrazi deck? Like, Andy, you said that it wasn't good until, like, the program.
5: Yeah. Like, what happened? It's, it started as just, like, a white-black range deck that was, like, not that focused, playing, like, weird cards. Like, if you look at, uh, Frank Lepore. Frank Lepore played like the bad version and top eight of the Pro Tour uh, of the deck, and then uh, one of the team, the Channel Fireball, played uh, the uh, colorless one. It was just all colorless, and that deck was really good. And then the other team played a blue red one that uh, like was insane in the mirror, and also just super powerful, and played all the powerful cards such as Sky Spawner, and then after the Pro Tour, it became blue-white because of Eldrazi Displacer being so ridiculous in the mirror. And Eldrazi plus Displacer and Drowner of Hope was a, a pretty unbeatable combo. So like, it, it evolved a bit, and that's how it started. It started as being like just a kind of crap, like a good mid-range Eldrazi deck, similar to like the Eldrazi and Taxes that are now, except just a little more powerful is how it was originally built. And then it just got way better.
4: I'm very impressed that the hive mind, online hive mind, broke the uh, Hogak deck even before the official release. I mean, like people, good people like Sodak, for example, who's a Dredge Master. Like he was, he was part of the ones like leading the charge, like Canister as well, for example. It just goes to show you like the flow of information in the social media age is like much more rapid, and like things can change, and the hive mind can like
3: meld into one very quickly.
0: John, you mentioned on Friday the, the finals of the MCQ was like a mono red mirror. Uh, what do you think about
4: mono red? It was actually a burn mirror, which is very surprising. Like, if you look at the top eight, um, I know seven of the decks, it was actually like pretty like, anti Holgak, I guess. It's, I, I heard that burn is, uh, is good against Hogak. So, it's two burn, one infect, two devoted druid, one is a phoenix, and uh, some, something else. But it was very linear. And I, I don't think, like, you should really be surprised that it was very linear, and it's basically all the decks that can race uh, Hogak, and just uh, anecdotally speaking, in the room, there was a lot of Hogak. Even, like, the more casual players who was playing the modern double-up, uh, for example, were slaving up Hogak. And I, I think, like, people who's going to um, Star City Games Pittsburgh or Dallas this week, I think uh, the jig is up. I think you need to be prepared. I think you don't, like, you need, like, full-measure uh, graveyard hate, like, uh, ley lines and rips. As well as like maybe like six seven total, or otherwise you're just gonna get run over. I think that is a real deal,
0: Sean. I know you have limited experience, but
3: what do you think about the, the burn matchup? Do you actually think it's not? Do you think it's not favorable? Uh, I'm not sure, but I feel like you would kill them before they kill you. Would be my guess. Like on average,
1: like I think your kill turn is faster than theirs. Uh, I know they bring in rest in peace, but um me i an answer to it and like beating rest in peace isn't a huge deal. So uh I'm, I'm not I'm not really sure but uh I think John has more experience than I do. So
4: yeah I talked to one uh, Robert Wang here's been uh, work iterating on um and he said that like even with three brutalities uh, sideboard he's been having trouble. And the reasons are that it has, um, uh, it has a fast clock that has a consistent turn three, turn four kill. Um, and Hogak is not necessarily the best, uh, the, the best at blocking between carrying feeders and blood gas. And you can, even if you try to mill them out, you can still like, uh, lose on the upkeep between like, Lightning Bolts, Helixes, and Burrow's Charm. So I wouldn't be su- uh, plus, the, they obviously have the rest in pieces. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, favorable, but I wouldn't say by a, a measurable amount but um, Ho- uh, Burn definitely uh,
3: won a lot against Hogak in uh, in Seattle. Mm. Uh,
2: I haven't played any of the Hogak deck myself, but I'm curious for for the few of you guys that have played it. Um, I saw people talking on Twitter about this, and I can't find any lists with it yet, but Rampaging Ferocidon in red-based deck sideboards, specifically Burn, uh, just because it com- it basically shuts off Bridge from Below and, like, if the Hogak deck wants to combo you, they die. It also shuts down the life gain of the brand deck, or the Alsource Rider deck, rather. So I don't know, maybe it's too slow, but that sounds very cute.
3: That's actually an interesting thought, although like, if you want to go down that road uh, route, I, I would think that Arch Mentor is better and cheaper. But it's an interesting thought, actually. I, I hadn't really thought of Frost at all like that in that, in that context.
2: I'd imagine you just end up losing a bunch of games to the 8-8 Hogak anyway when, they're slow, like when the game is slow enough that Rampaging Froston is good enough. Uh, but, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's something worth exploring. Uh, Sean just typed in our chat, turn to Ritual Ferocidon, so, I don't know, maybe there's even like, um <laughs> The all-in all red deck now wants Rampaging Ferocidon to defeat both those decks. That'd be interesting.
1: Now we see why it was banned standard. <laughs> I completely
5: forgot about that, too. <laughs> wow, we it, would, could even, it would be very good in the standard.
2: We could even play uh, Ramunap Ruins in our, in our all-in red deck with Frosted on. What, what did
3: they ban again in that cycle? There's Ramunap cards. Yeah. Uh, There's also the
4: teamer Energy uh, cards. I think it's uh, the uh, Refiner. Yeah, and, uh, Refiner
3: and a tune. A yeah.
5: Good times, good times. Shout out to the homies, Rogue Refiner, and Attune with Aether. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I guess uh, it's pretty clear, if, if people are uh, listening to us heading to Dallas, most of you think, oh, Gak, John, you, might bring, you would bring Neoform?
4: I would bring Neoform, uh, personally. I also think like Blue-White is a good choice. Like, all, Lost in all this talk is that Narset and Force Negation have really transformed uh, the deck into a truly elite deck, I think. And the, but the trouble is that um, the margin of error for errors is very thin and um, it's hard to craft the perfect 75 for a given like you need to predict the red metagame very, very well. Um so maybe maybe it's all for everyone. I don't think the mid-range <laughs> decks are good. Like the all- magic online uh, scene uh and PDQ had like Martyr Power Mancer, Esper Mentor and all that. Like like I don't wanna say garbage, but I'd say it looks kinda trashy to me. So, but if that's the case, then like, I, I was wondering, Tron might be a, a dark horse for preying on these, like, Faradex as well as, you know, if you can have, like, four relics and four ley lines sideboard, which I've been testing, um, it might have a decent or passable uh, Hogak match as well. So Tron is a dark horse for me. Otherwise, I would bring form. Or, you know, if you're good on I mean, if you can have the cards, just play Hogak. There's no reason not to.
3: Uh,
0: Sean, how, how would the mirror play out? It's just like, who's, who's faster? Is there any nuance?
1: Um... So, me and Isaac were playing the mirror, and uh, it's funny. I was like, let's test the mirror. He's like, okay, but these two cards are just gonna be main deck ley lines. So I was like, why are you doing this to me? But anyway, uh, he, uh, what, what happened was because you guys both have ways to sack creatures, the bridges are pretty bad. Um, so, I think that's like one of the cards that gets cut after board. I think, like, I'm not certain on that, but um, I think what happens is because the bridges get like exiled from your graveyard a lot of the time. From your opponent like by your opponent uh the goal is to like maybe have some sort of weird beatdown plan and then if you try like if you try milling yourself to get like better beatdown creatures like more venge mines and stuff what ends up happening is that maybe your opponent can like mill you out if you mill like 30 cards because they don't even need to have bridges they can just like have enough power on board to mill you with altar so i think it's like a weird balance in game one of like trying to Get enough power on board to like overwhelm your opponent through attacking, maybe. Uh, but also not milling yourself too much because your opponent can still mill you with Ultra without needing their um their bridges. And then after board, it gets really weird because people are bringing like eight cards, and like you need to answer Leyline, and your opponent's can like your Leyline's a big factor. You have uh, answers to Leyline, and then like your core plan's getting worse because you don't have bridges and like some of your beatdown creatures. So it's like. I don't think I've figured it out completely. I just think it's really interesting and something that I need to test before Pittsburgh.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely saying how there might be different angles of, of winning. And uh, Andy, have you, have you run into the mirror in, in your uh, set of matches?
5: Thank God. I have not. It sounds miserable. (laughs) I, I just haven't played against it. I haven't thought too much. I think, like, the Hogak deck should probably just start, like, main decking some Ley Lines, because uh, there's a few of the cards in the deck that aren't that great. I actually don't think Vengevine's that good in the deck. And I think you could just play a couple of Ley Lines, call it a day, have a better Mirror matchup, and hope that works out for you. If you have a Ley Line, then they can't exile your bridges, correct? I think, because their creatures don't die, they go to exile.
2: Uh, if a token dies, your bridges will get
5: exiled. Oh, lame.
2: <laughs> uh, but main deck, main deck, uh, Leyline of the Void was sort of the technology the last time the Bridgevine decks popped up. Um, I, I want to wager like last July or something like that after the Pro Tour. Um, that was like the major development when the roof was falling. That deck was way too good back then and nothing changed. Uh, but they did have four main deck re- Leylines Lines. So I, 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 you know, cutting Vengevine seems like it's sort of the, I don't know, the, like a precious card you would never touch before, but it is maybe less relevant now, and the advantage in the mirror match and against Phoenix is maybe worth it.
3: Last words, John? I've also heard some good things
4: about uh, uh, Crypt Breakers um, uh, from, the, from the rumor mill here, and Rip breakers. If people are paying attention, was in the red black reanimator sideboard in Legacy in, during the PT twenty five anniversary. And there's a lot of zombies. Um, there's a lot of zombies in the uh, in the deck. And Crip breaker is another way to grind out a card advantage as well as you know have a discard outlet if um, they don't have a rip or a leyline. So maybe something to consider. Yeah, uh,
1: Jamie went. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Jamie Archdeacon, but he went uh, 4-0 in the mirror and uh, online PTQ. With Ogak, and uh, he had a Crit in the main. And his, uh, his plan was no Ley Lines after sideboard, so his opponents would bring in a bunch of answers to it and have dead cards. And he would instead have like Ravenous Traps. So that might be something worth considering. And his uh, answers to Ley Line were uh, uh, Assassin's Trophies, so he could still cast them on, like, let's say they have a Hogak or something, and they don't have Ley Line that game. Like, he has a better kind of like mid range game plan than his opponents do after sideboard.
4: I think you brought a good point here. And let me just use my platform to spread a bit of propaganda. Um, just like in the dredge mirror, um, I fully believe that four ley lines is the worst configuration for these graveyard mirrors. And, um, the noted grinder soul deck has always been a proponent of zero to one ley line. And the reason you have the one is so you can mill over your own ley line when you dredge like 30 and make them have the four claims against you. But your, your deck is so like, um, synergy driven that. The marginal cost for removing an extra fifth or sixth um, card is going to be much higher than the marginal benefit of having a ley line, I think. So, if you are playing Hogak this weekend or like in any weekend, like unless the situation is extraordinary, I would definitely recommend zero or one ley line and definitely not four ley lines. Um, I've also heard uh, anti hate packages anywhere from the elemental package to the Tradition Nature's Claim Abrupt abrupt Decay Package, to uh, Bob said that uh, Force of Vigor actually has been working well for him. So um, they all have their pluses and minuses, and if you were playing Hogak this weekend, I would just think critically about what you're trying to in what context do um, you think these options are good? And force of vigor is very interesting to me, but I'm not sure how many times I'll, I'll face uh, multiple hate pieces, probably a lot. So maybe force of vigor is what I would uh, recommend trying. And Bob said it's, it's been working very well.
3: Right. I think that's a lot,
4: a lot of content for anyone heading to
0: Dallas here to experiment and, and all different types of technology that they could bring to the table. So let's just switch to something else. Um, big news uh, for, for the Red Bull tournament. Something that is being discussed is um, for deck lists. As there, uh, I'm going to read what, what they posted as part of their tournament rules. As there's no way for us to check any decklist in between rounds, we cannot enforce any players to use the same decklist for all rounds. We are allowed to change decks and there's no mandatory decklist collection. For coverage reasons at future streams of Bull and untapped, we may contact you to request your decklist information, but up to you to decide to share it or not. Okay. So we'll, and some people's like their initial reaction is like, what's the big deal. Other people are like, well, it's not the same as other tournaments. Uh, let's get your first take on this. Uh, Elliot. Uh,
2: obviously it's not ideal. In a perfect world, there is a way to enforce deck lists and, uh, uh, then you can just run it the same as you would for a paper tournament. Um, but that's not the world we're living in. Arena has no like tournament functionality, no way to um, enforce that deck list rule. So I think it's sort of like the best solution for a bad scenario for them, where it's better to just give everyone the opportunity to maybe do you know, a bit of extra metagaming, a bit of extra deck swapping, just to prevent, just to take away the opportunity to cheat. Um, Obviously, it's not super super common. You're gonna see people actually metagame. I think the tournament has like 500 players, so it's not like a a super small tournament. It's like say Phantom Legends, where you're uh you know what you're gonna play against specifically that type deal. Um, to put some extra sideboard cards in. So I think that the fact that the meta's wide open enough that there's enough people in the tournament that unless people are doing it as a joke, like I saw one person say they're doing, where they're going to play a different deck every round, uh, it's like going to be super, super minor, and then it just removes that uh, possibility of abuse of the fact that deck lists can't be checked.
3: John, you overreacted? You thought it was terrible? My
4: first reaction was, like, what the hell is going on? Is this what competitive plays is like, going down and down? Uh, is this how it's going to go down? But... I mean, Elliot's points are definitely valid. Um, it's maybe the lesser of all evils kind of thing. Um, my, my idea was, like, maybe we can just have open deck lists, and, you know, we would uh, exchange deck lists, and if the opponent plays um, a, a card not in their de- uh, deck list, for example, I mean, they's basically they can police themselves. But, I mean, I don't think it's that big of I I don't know. Um, I just think the format's very fun, though, actually. And then there's, like, a lot of extra uh, considerations that, like, you've never had to think about before. So um, the the, the, uh, the in me or the fun person in me is, like, kind of excited about what the best strategy is, whether it's going to be a GTO strategy based on your expectations of what other people are going to play. But uh, it's that's probably hard to solve like that, but I, I think it's fun. And as a spectator, I'm glad that it's happening. As, a, as an advocate for clean competitive play, I guess this might be the best solution, but I would hope this infrastructure built um, at a later date so um, they don't have to resort to this.
2: I even remember during the original... It may have been when Arena was maybe like in alpha or early beta when there was no best of three, no sideboarding. There's a tournament where it was, I, I believe, the finals. Um, so it was a best of three tournament where it's impossible to sideboard. So the plan was you would play game one and then you would make a copy of your deck and make any sideboard changes because you would submit it a sideboard uh, and then challenge the person to another best of one and play your game and I think it was the finals where someone accidentally boarded in an additional copy of a card, like more copies than they should have had access to and so it's just like a super awkward situation where no one realized it until they played the additional copy and so that kind of uh, you know is is a case of they were policing themselves in that tournament. We're lucky that I got caught, and it kind of helped maintain the integrity. But even if you're letting people police themselves, that still like gives the opportunity for what people do in like when people cheat in paper, which is you know maybe you register two leyline of the voids, but you know you're paired against Hogax, so you put two more in your sideboard, and and hope you don't show them the third one, or else that's going to be awkward if they have a deck list uh so without like any way to be enforcing a deck list no way to do like a deck check like you have judges do at tournaments it's like the best of a bad situation
3: i think that's reasonable here and let me add one more thing here real quick um
4: i've heard of this uh uh, legion war boss situation on arena and like that's like that's another example of uh the players trying to police themselves but so how the bug, bug, I think, works is un- unless you explicitly set, like, pauses for a um, war boss every time, like, you're just going to skip over or something like that. So uh, I've heard that um, at the Mythic Championship, they have to do it the very uh, analog- uh, uh, like manual way of telling your opponent that, hey, I'm going to cast a war boss, please set the stop or something like that. And I've heard, like, some people, like, lost a lot of time that may have, may- may have made a, a material... Um, material uh, difference in the match and like, that, that seems very old fashioned and like, archaic to me but like, I don't know how the difficulty in the programming for example and it's, it, I think that was an example of uh, trying to make the best out of an awkward situation so I, I hope in the future like, there is infrastructure or functionality added where Arena is a young, a young game um, that can be uh, modified and um, be improved upon and they can do that but um, yeah I, I'm,
3: pretty, I'm pretty much on uh, Elliot's boat now all right. <clears throat> any, any thoughts on that you want to add, Sean? You have some thoughts in the chat,
0: so I don't know if you want to share on the show. Uh, for the decklist thing, um, I,
1: I think I'm with Jonathan. Like, I definitely overreacted when I first uh, heard the situation. Um, it's just, like, something, you know, that's never been done before and just feels like, you know, h- like a big part of a tournament is, like, finding a deck list that you think is good for the, the tournament and showing up with it and being able to change, like, during the tournament. Uh, doesn't really feel right, but uh, uh, like you know, at the same time with what Elliot's saying, um, they don't really have a better way to do it probably, and and this is likely like their best fix. Um, what I was saying though is like it might be bad for the the casters just because they won't have deck lists and they won't know what like they won't be able to set up the match and uh, like maybe they won't know what people are sideboarding and stuff, so they won't have stuff to talk about like during uh, you know, the time between games, but um. If they have something like cardboard live, then that might fix that. So we'll, we'll just see how that goes, I guess. And uh, you know, it, it's the city, situation isn't great, but it's probably the best they can do. So,
3: right, let's
0: uh, let's wrap up with uh, with the MC three. I know me, Elliot, and Andy were sweating at least parts of it, as we both made predi- all three of us made predictions on how we thought the turn <laughs> Elliot with that smile, and I think. This is my take. This, this is my take. I think a lot of picks that Andy and Elliot made were because of how awesome the players are. But I think maybe, and this is a serious take, that um, the way the game is designed, that some, the, I think standard, we've talked a lot about how it's very snowball y and, and a lot of cards, you know, once you play it, you're just super far ahead like Nissa, that maybe it just negates some of those, like, all-time greats, like, their skill edge uh, from, from getting there, and I, I think that that's a, a part of it that makes maybe deck choice more important than it would be, that they couldn't really exercise uh, their skills much because, you know, Elliot only had one person go to,
3: to the final
0: to go far, and it was, like, the, the player that Andy and Enby also picked, which is Brad Nelson, and that, yeah, that's, that's all I could say. So Cas: well,
2: yeah, you think
3: speak for yourself?:
2: by? I was only sweating like the first 15 minutes because after that, my whole team was dead. Uh, I don't know how much of it is exactly the fact that the format takes away the skill advantage that some players have. Like I think Andre going 04, which is another player that all three of us had, I believe, is just like a big outlier. Um, you know, you can also like, I don't want to say discredit. What you said but like you know brad nelson made it to the finals of a standard mcq like a tournament where they they only got to play standard he made it to the finals and reset the bracket so uh like obviously a great performance by him and even his loss like not to discredit the person who won obviously they played great all weekend um and were were one of the players who uh queued there from magic arena so like they worked hard to get there and deserve to win but man, that was a sweat in one of those games against Brad where it was like the Ascant activation whiff into Ascant activation to opt into Nexus to win the game. That was like a super hype moment, big sweat. So I don't, I, I don't know if you can necessarily say that like good players are maybe not disadvantaged, but less advantaged from their skill. I think it was just maybe there was like a bit of a bad run for the players that some of us picked. Right. I also... I do like Shahar was like my seventh player. I almost had Shahar over Huey and then he, he crushed it as well. So I'm not, I'm not totally washed up. I promise.
0: So, so I think what I do want to say, something that plug, plug, plug my other show that Haina said that it's harder to find in in the new way. The the decks are sets are designed. It's harder to find like a 65% uh, plus deck uh, like, like the other old days. So. Uh, that's why the the edges are are, are narrower, and um, and maybe and it also makes deck choice actually in more important. I guess I think because I, I actually thought like I was surprised when Andy's pick, Andy's sleeper pick, sleeper Yamamoto was doing well because I'm like, how could he do well with all these cry of the carnariums and all these uh, Kyle's wraths in part of the 68 players, and then at 10, almost went pretty far before ultimately losing the eventual winner. Um, Yeah. And I thought, well, I thought Gruel was really bad. So that's why I didn't think he was going to do well. (laughs) And uh, so, but I enjoyed the experience. I think uh, on Twitter are some people that advocating for boycotting, uh, not watching the event because of the direction they were taking organized play. I don't know how you guys feel about that. And, but I thought it was really hyped. I was excited to, to watch and and not only the match that you mentioned uh, Elliot, but the kai against jota match were wow that was amazing that was insane so i thought it was well produced and i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it was the first time i watched an mtg event in a while and um i look for, actually look forward to the next arena one I actually want to qualify
5: for the next arena one that i was so hyped by that um uh, yeah. Go ahead, uh, once, once again, watching an arena tournament, way better than watching a paper tournament. It's not even remotely close how much more exciting it is. And it's funny because the MPL's played on arena, but it's the face cams and having everyone in the same place matters so much. Also, like, the broadcasters hyping up what's really on the line. Like, we kind of see now how important the, like, auto day two is because now we've seen it at the Mythic Championship. And so now we can maybe get a better grasp on what the MPL is playing for week over week. But uh, yeah, I thought the tournament was awesome. I thought, uh, yeah. And f- just a brief comment about your, uh, the win percentage. It's hard to get an edge. I think that happens when the s- formats are higher power leveled because people get bailed out more, right? Because they like have their turn three Legion war boss, even if they made a bunch of mistakes, it's going to kill you all by itself. And I think that's what happens with high-power-level formats, and this format is super powerful. You could like play a mid-range mirror a little weird, but that you choose the command the Dreadhorde, Bang, you win. So I think the high power level is kind of what leads to losing the, the top echelon of your percentage points. I don't know if
0: we kept up who won between me and you, Andy. because Yam- I mean, Yamamoto went far.
5: I think because the way it's set up were like it's just top 16, top 4 and top whatever. I think we tied, but I don't recall. We just beat Elliot we just- <laughs> Oh, guy. I don't even it was a beating.
2: Oh, you- well you know for sure that if I was anywhere close to winning, I could tell you all the stats of whether who won or not. <laughs> the fact that I was out of it on day 1, like I could hardly even watch day 2. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: some of the matches definitely like the cut. Co- I, I can't get over the fact. And I also got excited just to, they made the matches even rewatchable just to, to learn. There's like a lot of decision points. And I talked about it on my other pod and also posted on my Facebook page that Elliot uh, replied to, like there's a lot of interesting decision points for discussion. And I think um, the one that I talked about with Brad Nelson, uh, choosing to wait uh, on duressing, with Dovin's veto in his hand to, to back it up uh, playing a tap line and saying, go instead. And then already in that there's like three different answers of what people would have done in that particular situation. And that's what I love the opportunity to be able to screenshot or, or just save some of these situations and analyze with other people. Like these, this is like, the highest level of play like stone cold masters playing against each other so you can really dive into why they did something differently and who knows who knows what the difference is like the edge the ev difference between one line and the other but i mean eventually all those different decisions is what makes a player master like huey kai and all these other people uh versus like the the, the average player that's that's just not going to see or or take the extra five percent play at at each junction. So,
5: yeah, there uh, was one turn in that Brad Nelson Nexus match that I remember watching it play out, and I was like, "What the hell is Brad doing?" <laughs> he played the Hostage Taker and exiled his own hero, and all I could think is, "I would have exiled a token and then like killed the Reclamation, and if he plays anything, I can kill with the other colors sp- or a other spell, you win the game." And it played out that way, but Brad didn't win the game because he decided to take this super strange line that played out better against blink of an eye or something like that. I forget exactly what it was, but it was, it was a really weird turn when he heroed his own hostage or hostage taker, his own hero. I would love to know what Brad thought about that.
3: <laughs> He'd be like, I just messed up, dude. I <laughs> no, That'd be funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Sean, you enjoyed it as much as we did. Well, how did you, you were able to catch some of the coverage.
1: Uh, I, I watched some of it when I had a chance, but I also just rewatched a bunch of it because, uh, like a lot of people told me like certain matches, like the, the Kyber show to match or, um, like the last one where, uh, he hit the, uh, Nexus off the op. Like those matches are really fun to watch. And, uh, like, like you were saying, there's, there, these are like the best players in the game playing against each other. So there's like a lot to learn. Um, there's making decisions that, you know, uh, I might not think about or like doing certain sideboard strats. You can see them sideboarding and everything. So I think there's a lot to learn from rewatching. And uh, I know you were talking with uh Hain about maybe going over some matches. I think that would be uh, pretty awesome. If that's a thing that you guys want to do.
3: Yeah. We're planning to uh, just try to do something that's,
0: that's ha- isn't like done a lot or, or hasn't been done. I think I always credit when I talk about this, I always credit AJ soccer. Because he sort of uh, he's really on and off with of his content. Uh, he just it's just the scheduling is really irregular. But he loved doing his AJTV, which is basically game analysis where he went really deep on on different decisions. And uh, it's a shame he didn't do that more regularly. But I think that that type of content is what a lot of advanced players want to see. And uh, we'll see. Like. Um, to expand on, on more like Elliot got Brad's play right on that game which is, uh, which is game three which is turn, turn three or four of the final game where he played a land to tap and said go other people would say uh, duress knowing the opponent has negate and then vetoing the negate so the duress passes through uh, to take uh, uh, Narset or Nissa but then there's other people who would say okay I would duress but I wouldn't fight over the Against the negate, I would keep the Dovins veto. And there's so there's like different decisions. And um, I think sometimes because of how fast the arena games go, you're just watching, you're not noticing all these different lines that you would have not taken. Um, and I'm always also thinking of round one Strasky against Amaz. That's the one I want to do a game analysis line where Strasky has the choice to either uh, scorn a branch walker. Uh, play a second Teferi on top of his original Teferi, or he could play Thought Erasure, so and he went with a play that I don't think I would have done, so it it would be interesting just to to go through a lot of these decisions, especially in the early game when, if your deck has a lot of two or three mana cards, then there's very, a lot of different ways to play, and sometimes it's
3: just play a land pass, Um, so I'm excited to do that. Can I just a- ask one thing real quick here? Um, the top eight was double elimination, right?
2: The top was four double? was double elimination. It was double oh, elimination, top, top 16, cut to, to cut down to the top four, and then once they were in the top four, everyone was like, even playing field, double elimination tournament.
4: I thought that was cool. Maybe I'm alone here, but I like double elim- uh, tournaments in like Smash or you know, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom or other fighting games because of, like, the cream generally rises to the top. It makes for great Storylines about someone like fighting through the, uh, the losers bracket all the way to the finals and resetting brackets and all that. So I- I'm not sure how practical it is for logistic reasons, but I-, I thought it was pretty sweet.
2: There is not not much more hype in esports than a bracket reset in the finals. That's just it's always insane.
3: Agreed, and it did happen. So Brad
0: reset the bracket and almost got there. Was was one game away from getting there. So. Um, definitely sick i mean john yeah the fighting game thing when it's like the the guy wins from loser's bracket and you're like okay he's got him figured out he's got him figured out and sometimes the, the the winner also figures out learns from the from the loss to, to overtake so there's a lot of um, awesome story from that and uh i think that's it for for now um sean any what's next for you um uh, mr mr detective what's the next case so, uh, I'll be heading to Pittsburgh
1: this weekend with uh, Isaac and, and Michael Van Vols. And we're uh, probably just going to run triple Hogak. <laughs> so, am going to see how that goes, you know. Um, I'm actually getting swayed into playing the one main deck uh, ley line that, that John was talking about. I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think there's value in showing a ley line when there's three of you, because then if you're all playing the same deck, it's pretty likely that you're playing like very similar lists. So if one guy sees like a lay line in table C, they're like, Oh, okay, well I have to bring in my claims because like, you know, they all probably have lay line. So I, I think there's a lot of value there. So, you know, we're going to see how that tournament goes, hoping to hogax some people. So,
0: yep.
3: Uh, Elliot, what was the line
0: uh, you set last week? Maybe, maybe we'll have Sean tick an over and under here
2: so I had set it at 16, but then I thought about, because I, for some reason I was thinking, like, out of 32, I wanted, like, a 50%, but I'll I'll say 14. We'll put it at 14, that'll be my official line, 13 and a half for, for like, to avoid the push. 13 and a half over or under.
3: Of Hogak decks, John, what do you think in SDG, top 8?
4: So it's a team, right? So 3 times 8 is 24
2: uh, decks in top 8? 24 possible decks.
4: Oh, 14 is a a Like, just by sure number, I would take it under, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest <laughs> if
3: they take over. But I would say under, I guess. But it's close. <laughs> Sean? Uh, I think it's probably also under, but just because, <laughs> like,
1: that's like a lot of Hogak. But again, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, there's already three Hogaks, like, locked for top eight, because I'm going. So, well, uh,
0: We'll see. <laughs> Call shot. All right. We'll see.
3: I, I, Elliot, you think you think that if there, a team has one Hogak player, it's likely that they're all Hogak, right?
2: Yeah. Like I, I think what I said last week is that once you get to like the elite, you know, and you know, maybe people want to laugh at me for saying SCG players are elite, or whatever. Once you get to a certain <laughs> a certain level, then uh, it doesn't really like you start to eliminate deck bias. So I think a lot of people would go to this tournament uh, who are like maybe more casual and not as invested and say like, you know, I, I like playing blue eye control. So I'm playing blue eye control. My buddy likes playing John. So he's playing John and you know, whatever it is. But once you get to people that are like really down to brass tacks, trying to win the tournament, you know, they have time to invest to learn the deck no matter what um, that the team's you know, granted, the cards are available to them, will just show up with three Hogak. Or they'll somehow trick themselves into thinking that they have a good Hogak matchup somehow.
3: I wonder what Edgar's playing. I checked a stream a while ago. He was doing devoted druid things. I wonder if he's going to get his whole
2: team. I imagine he's going down. Yeah, I, I forget who he's teaming with. I know it's Dilks and I think maybe Dominic Harvey, but I don't want to. I, th- I think it's those it's three. It's not Daryl. Ooh, maybe it's Daryl. Three of those four, I'd imagine.
4: I, s- I saw his stream yesterday. He was rocking for mentors, And he also thought yeah. that the, um, the devoted druid, like the format's already ready for it. So, like, kn- knowing how good of a player he is, I-, I would expect him and his team to be very fluid in terms of deck selection.
0: And all three, Well, we expect all three to play the same deck, I think, I think Dilk's, like, that. There's that brain trust over there. Um, so excited to see how they do. Um, yeah, I think you know uh, Shaheen Srani wanted to come on to, to complain about direction of OP, and and,
3: and you know, we're we're seeing people you know talk about the state uh, of it all, and and even uh, Ethan Gieski. I think he had mentioned how Gieski.
0: Let me uh, look up his tweet. He had said that I'm considering. Uh, let's see. I'm considering quitting SUG. I really miss my life in Philly, and I'm finding it increasingly difficult to convince myself that I care about the Players Championship. Only reason to continue is that I'm in such a good position. Going to see how Pittsburgh goes and think it all over. But I guess he's just okay. But I've heard a lot of thoughts being discouraged about you know chasing the pro tour dream or or not wanting to play as much anymore. But I love I actually like Arena so much that I'm actually stoked uh, to be qualifying like by being top a thousand mythic. I mean, Andy, you had the experience, but I don't know, was it? Am I going to be let down once I play that qualifier like you did?
5: No, getting to play an MCQ in your living room is fantastic because one of the biggest like things that is like taxing on my honestly my mental health is like traveling to a tournament and when you flame out and you just do very badly and just sitting around waiting for your friends or whatever, or waiting to do whatever can, can really do some damage on your, uh, you like how you're feeling. So like the fact that I was just like, well, time to just like play some, uh, video games, play rocket league.
3: <laughs> and I, I'm just excited. I, I was wrong
0: for, for not jumping on arena as, as soon as you, some of you guys did. And, um, just, to get, just knowing that my opponent just, they can still stall and rope me or whatever, but like they can't not as badly as on, on MTGO when they could like legit, just quit the
3: game and, and I have to wait more than 10 minutes. Um, but, uh, anything else you want, you want to say, uh, before we get out of here, Sean? I just want to say, uh, thanks for having me back on. It was uh, a lot of
1: fun and, um, yeah, I think I think I learned a lot just from hearing uh, your guys' opinions on on the various things that are going on sweet. in the Magic World. So yeah, it was nice being on.
0: Sweet, sweet. Uh, I love that. Not just uh, not just us getting all the benefit of having
3: the detective on. Uh, John, anything else from you? No. Uh, go go team Hogak. Go team Hogak, or go
0: team Neoform combo and check his videos on the Facebook Games YouTube. Elliot and Andy,
2: anything else? I love The Gathering, and I'm officially retiring from Magic to become a professional teamfight tactics player. Catch me on, on League of Legends again. Are you, are you going to stream this? Absolutely not. <laughs>
5: okay. <laughs> a week from today, Kawhi Leonard will sign with the Toronto Raptors, so I'll be pretty happy, I'm sure. All right. Hopefully, hopefully that's true.
0: Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, apparently the Lakers are going to sign J.R. Smith. Do you think that's going to be true, Andy?
5: If he can ever figure out, like, what time what time <laughs> is left on the clock for his meeting, if he can get there, then maybe. Jarrett Smith is, uh, was a very good basketball player, but I don't think, uh, I don't think they should do it, because last time they signed a bunch of, uh, j- like, g- name guys who weren't great, and it looked pretty, that team looked f- dumb. <laughs> like, some of the, the clips with, like, Lance Stevenson and, like, Brandon Ingram just tossing the ball at the rim and not knowing how to play basketball and LeBron just sitting there like wondering like where's Dwayne Wade at? Where's Chris Bosh at? <laughs> yeah
0: um, an exciting exciting uh, NBA season to come um, and with that we'll talk to you all next week and hopefully we can celebrate uh, people we know crushing it at the SCG whether it be uh, detective Wall, or edgar or uh dilks or, or any of our friends and any of our friends who are, are playing at magic fest uh, dallas so good luck to everyone and uh catch you all next time thanks for checking us out